I'd like to begin the sermon time together by sharing a piece that was on the UCC devotional site this week. It was on Friday. It was written by a fellow named Quinn Caldwell. Um, some of us might remember him as a keynote speaker at our annual meeting here a few years ago. Um, and he's currently the pastor at Plymouth Congregational Church in Syracuse, New York. He wrote this. Earlier this summer, two women visiting Panama City Beach in Florida heard screams and saw two young boys hundreds of feet from shore. They'd been caught in a rip current and couldn't get back. There being no lifeguards on duty, the women went out on boogie boards to try to save them, but got stuck themselves. Multiple other rescue attempts failed until there were nine people caught in the water and all in danger of drowning. That's when the people on the beach realized that no single person was going to be able to save them. This was a problem that was bigger than any one swimmer, even a strong one, could handle. So one by one, then 10 by 10, they linked arms, forming a human chain reaching out towards the stranded swimmers. And having made their human bodies into one huge superhuman body, they plucked those swimmers from the waters and passed them back to shore. Not one person died that day on Panama City Beach. There are problems in this world that a body cannot handle alone. There are situations that cannot be saved by a single person. There are currents you can never swim your own way out of, which is why, and he writes, please tell me you saw this coming, God gave us the church, the place where we link ourselves up, make our bodies into the body, and perform miracles that none of us could perform alone. The church doesn't exist for your salvation. It exists to give you a way to participate in the saving of the world. So I, I saw that this week and it felt like that particular devotional really fit well with the idea of the church being a body and together we can always do much more than we can do by ourselves. Well, Chris's um, announcement about the Sunday dinners, for example, that a group of us together can serve up to 70 people that maybe one or two of us, Dave Heater accepted, probably couldn't handle on our own. Um, and, that, and how wonderful in terms of transformation 20-some years ago, when St. Paul's voted to become open and affirming, about 10 or 12 people left the church, um, not be being in favor of that resolution, and they all went and became members of Northwest Christian Church, which is the church that we are paired with in doing this dinner. So 20 years later, it's a non-issue, and that, and that um, Monica, the pastor, and I have remembered that story, and she is so grateful that we have gay people working um, with the Sunday dinner because as of yet, no one is out in that congregation. They're not comfortable yet in that stage. So who knew what things could happen in 20 years in terms of the changes of the world? The other piece about this is that um, when I think about the world and politics and theology and church right now, is that so much of where we are, we're caught up in ideologies that it has to be this way or, or not at all, my way or the highway, and the split in our, our cultural divisions, our political divisions, our theological and religious divisions that are so prevalent in our nation and in the world right now as well. I think about applying that to this story from Quinn relating the incident on Panama City Beach, 
Well, if someone would have had an ideology, you don't link arms, it's not done that way, you save people by boogie boards. Well, if they would have handled, if they would have stayed with that and been so narrow in their interpretation of what was possible, then nothing would have happened and the people would have drowned. And I think of just this week and just examples so much around us, and I don't want this to sound political, but there's political things happening around us every day. I was struck yesterday by um, the Speaker of the House visiting Everett and Boeing and talking about how we need tax cuts and how, how poor, poor Boeing, how do you manage? And I'm thinking, if I'm, not, if I'm not incorrect here, Boeing has probably the lowest tax rate of any corporation in the nation, both because of current laws and because of what Washington State has done for them in the past several years. I also thought about the political rally of our president in Phoenix earlier this week, and then sort of egging on the crowd of his supporters to turn and really belittle and, and uh, demean the media that were there filming and taking account of that in a very sort of, I don't want to make junior high people sound bad, but in a junior high recess way. And, and how then the next day kind of whining, well, why can't we all just come together? We need to be united. And you can't have it both ways. You can't have be a partisan place in one part of your life and then turn around and wonder, why we have such division. And then to be, uh, to, to, to be fair, to look at the other side, there's a Seattle City Council person right now who has a lawsuit from two police officers about defamation of them. And in reading that story, one of the things that caught my attention is that in one of those police families, the children had to be pulled from school because the other children were calling them the, the child of a murderer. And I can only speak from my own experience, but I thought back, there are five times that I've had to call the police here at St. Paul's. Other times have been, you know, for other reasons, and other people have done that too, but the five times that I've had to, four in the evening and one on a Sunday morning before worship, were when someone was passed out, uh, either so drunk or so on some sort of substance, that I could not wake them up. And I, uh, they were breathing, so I knew they were alive but in order to close the building, or in the case of a Sunday morning, we used to have sofas in the narthex back, and this person was passed out on the sofa. I could not wake him up, and the police finally came at 10.30, just before the St. Paul's people start coming in in droves. And in my experience, those five times, every single time the person woke up and was belligerent to the police. And three of the five times, the police were people of color, that came to uh, answer my 911 call. And my experience was that they were kind and professional and thoughtful, and they did their job without much thanks whatsoever, uh, other than mine, you know, for them coming and letting me go home and lock the building or continue on to have worship. So to, to pronounce before the facts are out, if at any particular case, it's, it's, it's sad to me when that happens, and it's also was sad to me to realize that families and children were paying a price for someone's political correctness in the moment. It also happens theologically and in religion, as we well know. Uh, I alluded to the open and affirming vote and all the passion that was around those kinds of issues 20-some years ago, and still is in existence today in smaller doses. But I can think of a particular instance uh, years ago in Massachusetts 
where I was called, uh, there was a church member, uh, her husband was not a member, but Cindy was, and uh, she was pregnant, and she really struggled with alcohol addiction and was drinking throughout her pregnancy. And about a week before the due date, she went in for a routine check, and there was no heartbeat. And in that particular hospital in Massachusetts, in suburban Boston, they elected to have her go through labor, uh, knowing that the baby would not be alive when she delivered the baby. And I always questioned that. It felt sort of um, shaming or and medically, maybe there are reasons why that had to happen, and I just don't know them. So I was called to come in uh, and be with them at, at the time of the end of the delivery, and I held this stillborn boy in my arms, and they, well, Tim, aren't you going to baptize him? And it totally hadn't occurred to me that that was something that they would ask for, because technically, you don't baptize a non-living person. Baptism liturgy talks about parents bringing a child into community, promising to raise that child in a certain way, but it was clearly what they needed and what they expected, and I clearly was going to honor their request. So we did that, and, and later on, when there was a graveside service, I felt I was so glad that I broke the rules, so to speak, because in that particular cemetery and in that particular town in Massachusetts, there was a rule that all the stillbirths were in a particular part of the cemetery and they were not allowed to have gravestones. They had flat little things on the grass. So here's this family that has another child and then later on had another child after the stillborn one. And they could all be buried normally as regular people are, but all the stillbirths were in a corner of the cemetery without headstones all by themselves. And it felt again punitive and shaming and punishing in ways that were so incredibly unhelpful and putting those pennies in the therapy bucket, you think about all the conversations that people would have had to have later on after going through something like that to secure their mental health. And the place where I was not expecting to be chastised and shamed about that decision was from a liberal colleague who when she heard about this went all up and down, we were having lunch and she ended up leaving the restaurant and having me, you know, pay the bill when I mentioned this, but she was saying that, you, you, Tim, you're, you don't see the whole picture. What you're doing is you're allowing the pro-life people an avenue in. If you baptize a fetus, then what, then they have, and you can follow that line of thinking, but it wasn't a way of um, working together. It was a way of I'm right and you're wrong, and and not hearing the particular need of that particular situation in that particular time. So that's a case, I guess, where I'm proud I broke the rules, and I think that that's partly what rules are there for, is to be looked at every time, and to be, now, is this helpful in this situation, and if not, what, how do we move forward into a way of healing, into a way of growth, and into a way of moving into something that's more positive than this present moment? I'd like to close by saying again the final sentence from Quinn's reflection where he says this, the church doesn't exist for your salvation. It exists to give you a way to participate in the saving of the world.